This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. And as you know, uh, we've been reporting throughout the day. Uh, RNC are seeking the public's help, of course, in their ongoing investigation in these two random and violent attacks in the capital city region. Just uh, frightening uh, what went on in the city last night. They have released two images, or sorry, a number of images of uh, two suspects. Um, and they're they're not the best images, I have to say, but they there may be enough there to help identify the people involved or uh, to spark someone's memory and say, yes, I remember seeing somebody like that. I'm going to check my CCTV footage. Anyone who has a CCTV footage from either of the two areas, one in the Beaumont Street area, the other one in the Maunders Lane area and thereabouts, um, is asked to uh, send that along to the RNC so they can help in this investigation and hopefully... Uh, bring uh, the uh, the people involved uh, to justice. Uh, a very concerning situation indeed, and we'll have all the latest on that throughout the course of the afternoon. Well, in other news, Premier Andrew Fury and Lake Melville MHA Perry Trimper yesterday called a news conference to announce that Trimper was rejoining the Liberal Party after two years as an independent MHA. Well, you may recall that he left the party under former Premier Dwight Ball after a voice message he left with a member of the Innu Nation continued to record after he thought the call had ended. It captured a conversation between Tremper and an unnamed woman commenting on members of the Innu Nation. Tremper, a former cabinet minister and speaker of the House of Assembly, won the Lake Melville seat handily in the last provincial election, running as an independent. He is now part of the Liberal fold, and he joins me on On Target. Hello. Hello, Linda, and uh, hopefully we're going to be able to keep this uh, going. I'm on the side of the road on the Great Northern Peninsula with two bars. Uh-oh. But, uh, <laughs> I'm committed to you, so let's see what we can do. Duly noted. So uh, what what led to this decision uh, to return to the Liberal Party? Well, um, yeah, as you just sort of outlined some history, uh, I think it was um, uh, last fall, and early this year, the Premier started reaching out to me uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one was he was encountering the same challenges with files in central Labrador, in the Lake Melville district, which is a very strategic, a very important district that I was having. And we obviously needed to work closer together. We needed to start collaborating. So we started doing that with no other ambition other than uh, we, we needed to figure uh, some things out and, and he needed that voice on the ground that I was able to provide and of course I needed his direction at the provincial level. So we started that in earnest in, in March and uh, we started uh, uh, finding that we could work uh, and, and make progress on several uh, several issues. So uh, with the announcement last week of the um, the offer of financial assistance and a, a suggestion as to how we can viably find a future for Mudlake we really felt it was appropriate to uh, to uh, to make it complete, and um, I'm pleased to say I joined the uh, Liberal Party yesterday. So it wasn't automatic. Uh, you say that this started about a year ago or so, uh, so you didn't jump right up and say, yeah, sure, let's do this. Uh, it took a little time. 
It did. And I kept uh, saying to folks, uh, because I was uh, very, you know, first of all, it was interesting to sit in opposition, but I kept reminding people that just because I wasn't in government didn't mean I was in opposition. I I, I, I enjoyed thoroughly uh, representing my district as an independent uh, without um, without the complexities of, of party strategies and so on. My, my singular goal was to represent the people of Lake Melville. It still is my priority. However, um, it was it was fascinating to to be there in the legislature. And some days I'd hear a good idea from government and support them, and some days I didn't, and I didn't. And uh, so, yeah, with those two years, um, it uh, it's it's been a fascinating experience. But the, the premier and I agreed this was a, would be good for for his uh, for his team, and I know it's going to be good for the district. You, you can only move things so far as you're raising issues in the legislature. You still need the attention of, of government, of those ministers. And yes, every district in this province is important, but having direct access uh, to the decision makers is going to be key, and it has been. And, but you haven't been afraid to um, keep government's feet to the fire in the House of Assembly when it came to uh, fighting for your district. Uh, uh, you, you've been critical in the House in the limited amount of time that you've had. Is it going to be easier now, you know, as sitting on the government side? Well, we, you know, we explored that. And, and if you notice my, my approach, it wasn't one of personal attacks. It wasn't one of... Uh, uh, I don't know, trying to embarrass anyone or twist anyone's words. It, it really was pointing out the cold, hard facts and the realities of of the challenges that Lake Melville and broader Labrador face. And so I'd raise those points. And I, I can tell you that, you know, after the theater of the legislature and question period was over and in the back alleys of, of, of the legislature, um, you can tell you're making traction. Um, and, uh, you know, the ministers would often come to me for further information, and I started working with them. So they had to solve it, and I had to solve it. So, uh, you know, all these steps and all the different items and issues that I identified yesterday in our press conference really culminated in, in this decision. So you've reconciled yourself, I guess, with the Liberal Party itself. But how about the Innu Nation? Because there was a lot of hurt there uh, in in your commentary. You've had a long relationship with the Innu Nation and the people of Labrador. Um, and it, it took some people by surprise to hear some of the things that were, were said there or implied. Uh, how did you reconcile yourself with the Innu Nation? Well, it was a it was a complete mistake, and uh, I I knew it instantly, and uh, apologized and resigned from cabinet. That was uh, that was you know that that was three years ago today, and um, you know I I knew that I needed to to double down as I said then, and I still feel now on working on a relationship. I think any relationship needs uh, needs attention and energy, and I I I, I committed myself to doing that. I guess I can inform your listeners today that, uh, you know, it was shortly after the 2021 election that I received a phone call from leadership at the Inu Nation inviting me to a to a discussion. And uh, I was very pleased to accept. And that was the start of a very uh, open, uh, very personal, very emotional exchange between between us. And as since that time, we've been working well together. Uh, there was no need for fanfare. There was just uh, it was just important for us to get back together and get working together again. And uh, I'm pleased to say that's been happening. So I thank them for that overture. So how would you describe your relationship with the Inu Nation right now? Well, I feel that uh, given the priority of the premier, uh, you know, which is really 
in reconciliation, addressing so many issues around the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission and so on, that uh, having a government member uh, now with the with the premier uh, in their district, I, I feel is going to be very important. But no, we are, we are we are speaking, we are talking, we're exchanging ideas, uh, working on a variety of uh, files. And perhaps one that's of greatest profile right now is is addressing the homelessness, uh, transiently homeless addictions issues that all of Labrador is struggling with, but it's particularly concentrated in Happy Valley Goose Bay. So I sit at the same table as all Indigenous leaders and municipal leaders of four members of the cabinet and the premier is also keeping an eye on it. So we've been working well together for the last several months, and I'm looking forward to that continuing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the, the issues in your district, but uh, it goes beyond the Inu Nation, of course, the uh, Nunatsi of government as well, and, and other uh, people in Labrador uh, a little taken aback by what happened three years ago. Uh, what are your relationships like with the Nunatsi of government, for instance? Well, we all know each other. Uh, you know, we all, we all work together. Uh, you know, my I came to Labrador 35 years ago, so I've, I've been committed to it, and, uh, and and to the people, and to the region developing and getting on on the radar. They know I'm a hard worker. They know where my heart is. Um, as I said, I made a mistake, and I uh, I took that uh, responsibility to to do what I needed to do at that time, which was resign from cabinets and. Uh, I don't regret those moves. I certainly regret the uh, the error of those words, but uh, I've been moving forward and, and working with anyone who wants to work with me. And uh, you know, it's it's been productive, uh, Linda, and I'm I'm pleased to say that. So we have a new session of the House of Assembly opening in the next few weeks, and I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, issues facing the district, as you've already uh, hinted at in our comments um, when we come back right after the break. My guest today on On Target is the Liberal MHA for Lake Melville District. Perry Trimper will be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VO. OCM. And our guest today is the Liberal member for Lake Melville, uh, um, <laughs> Liberal member for Lake Melville, I'm sorry, uh, Perry Trimper. And uh, Perry, I see now government offering money to residents of Mud Lake who want to relocate. What's the situation there? Well, you've uh, certainly on to a big one there. It's one that I've been raising uh, very frequently in the house, and we even had a big standoff uh, about a year ago just over the matter. Uh, you might recall we had a big flood in uh, a very devastating flood in May of 2017, so five years ago. And uh, at that time, uh, and following a series of investigations and then further uh, flood forecasting prediction, government's uh, own research concluded that, in fact, a lot of the homes and as a result of climate change, that they were going to get hit again. So I have been arguing for the last two years since this research was completed that uh, we really needed to uh, move those folks, particularly those most vulnerable, out, out of harm's way. Similar to what was done years ago in Badger, uh, we wanted to both uh, keep the community safe, move folks away from the uh, the high-risk areas, but also do what we can to keep the community viable. So I was pleased to last week conclude those discussions with the Premier and, and government uh, to offer a financial package to those who are feeling very uncomfortable, to those who are, have been identified as being at risk, but also at the same time um, uh, coming up with a strategy to develop a social enterprise. And we're looking at uh, 
ways that we can develop a mud lake into a essentially a smaller version of what goes on at Battle Harbor uh, as a historic trust. So uh, a good package and uh, one that the community has been asking for for years. I know that uh, some court action was launched not long after the flooding. Uh, will this impact that process at all? I don't believe so. I mean, the courts function independent of government anyway. Uh, so that, uh, I would assume, is still proceeding. Uh, I've, I've heard from some of those involved. Uh, to me, this was about uh, addressing a, a very substantial document, a very substantial report that was done by the provincial government with these strong conclusions, and I didn't want to see it sit on the shelf. I felt we needed to respond to it. We were very proud of the work that was done. Uh, it's one of the best in the country, but its conclusions were very stark and they needed to be addressed. So uh, it will function uh, in terms of the offer of assistance, similar to what's being offered to other communities that are relocating, except in this case, uh, it is the intention to keep uh, you know, the community hooked up to the services that they've enjoyed to date. So uh, it doesn't mean that everybody will have to go in order to pick, pick up this package. It's just whoever decides they want to go. Correct. And that's been the challenge, Linda, with the situation is that while many wanted to go and even after uh, the minister did drop the threshold at which the vote, remember, you might recall it was at 90 percent for a community to uh, come together and say we'd like to relocate in government to respond. They, uh, Krista Van Heil dropped the, um, the threshold to 75% only a few months ago. It still wasn't sufficient for the situation. Of it's, it's a beautiful community. Uh, many people have lived there all their lives, and they wanted to continue to live there. They felt comfortable enough. But for many others, uh, it was quite a shock, the, um, that flood of 2017 and having houses uh, literally swept off their foundations. So to keep uh, and provide... Uh, uh, comfort for those who are very much on ease. Um, I was pleased to see this uh, financial offer on the table to them. So um, when communities like Little Bay Islands uh, relocated, for instance, uh, people take their package, they, they up stakes, they move somewhere else, but they still have access to those homes that they once had. Uh, nobody, you know, takes them over. They're still their homes. Is that going to be the case in Mud Lake as well? Yes, it is. That is my understanding. There are there are many other questions around this in terms of, uh, you know, who exactly is a resident, uh, other situations and scenarios, and how long do you have to have lived there. I'm leaving that to the department, and, and there is a, a reference name and, and phone number that we've been posting and sharing. I've been encouraging all residents. And on both sides of the river, by the way, there are some folks on the north side of uh, Mr. Shipu of the Churchill River that are also identified as being at risk. So all of their interest right now is being directed to the department, and uh, they'll be compiling that, and we'll be getting back to people. But it very much for for those who, uh, who've been wanting to go and, and, and know their situation, this is welcome news for them. For those who want to stay, how will the social enterprise affect their lives, and, and how will that work? Well, it's an opportunity, and I'm excited. I received a very interesting phone call last night from a developer who's also been working on this, uh, somewhat unbeknownst to myself, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So the idea is to, uh, first of all, set up a governance structure that will consist of residents and expertise, much, again, as Battle Harbor functions, uh, to oversee a not-for-profit uh, enterprise. So it, it would be a hands-on tourism destination. We actually, throughout Labrador, and despite our wonderful wilderness and so on, we don't have a lot of situations where people can actually get uh, out into the country a little bit and explore it. So the idea is to set up uh, boat, uh, boat tours, uh, interpretive walks, 
bed and breakfast accommodations. And these, of course, can be provided by the residents. Even those who choose to relocate, uh, their homes will still be there and they can be offered up. And I heard last night from a gentleman who's uh, who's developing other, other infrastructure that will support this very well. So um, it's being well received, the idea, at least in, the, in St. John's within the department. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, putting out a, a call for a concept and business planning um, uh, deliverables by a professional consultant. So uh, those monies have also been secured. So on one, one hand, we're, we're giving people the opportunity to leave if they so choose. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we're looking at an opportunity to build it up a little bit further and make it more prosperous. So do those two things go hand in hand? They do if you understand the community. Um, the, it's the sort of the northern part, the lower elevation. It's primarily those residents who are most affected by the flood and were feeling uncomfortable. And again, if I go back to the situation in Badger, it's not the entire community that was at risk. It was it was a location that uh, you know several homes were moved there. The same approaches I've been advocating and, and pleased to say is here now for Mud Lake. So. For those at higher elevation, now granted, it's, it's not dramatically higher, but nevertheless, it's, it's further away from the river and in a more secure and stable part of the community. Um, you know, they're, they're going to stay, for the most part, the folks that are living there, uh, and uh, we'll be able to uh, viably support them. The people of Mud Lake, and I've spoken to a few of them over the years, uh, really love the lifestyle that they have. There's currently no road going to Mud Lake, not so far as I know anyway. Um, and they like that that aspect of their lives. If we turn this into a social enterprise where you're going to be attracting tourism and that, will that change the infrastructure? Will it make the community more accessible? Or will people still be able to enjoy that little bit of isolation that they enjoy? You know, I learned a long time ago when uh, cruise ships used to, well, still do come to Labrador. And I remember hearing from a cruise director who was talking about Northwest River. And they said the beautiful thing about Northwest River and the tourism opportunities there for a cruise ship to stop and go and visit was that it was authentic. We don't need to develop, you know, uh, sophisticated and simulate and duplicate what's done elsewhere. You know, Mud Lake sells itself. It, it's an incredibly enchanting, a beautiful uh, situation. Every, the lifestyles are wrapped around uh, boats in the summer to, to come across the river and access uh, Goose Bay. And in the wintertime, it's a wonderful snowmobile destination. It's just the most picturesque, beautiful little village. And that is there now. What we need, of course, is just to uh, enhance uh, some of the accommodations, accommodations, make sure people are comfortable. But we don't need roads. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't need uh, large buildings constructed. It, it sells itself, and it just needs to be organized. Do you think many people will take up the offer? Yes, I do. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I've been working on a list for the last couple of years, and uh, we'll have. Uh, I don't know, forty, fifty percent of the residents will will will. I, I'm anticipating will accept, and I think as we as we iron out more of the legal details and aspects of this of this offer. Uh, maybe some others will come be coming forward, but I've been hearing from from the families and some of the individuals that live on their own over there. They're they're quite tearful, they're quite emotional, quite appreciative, and uh, quite a bit of relief. So one of their big questions now is just how quick can it happen, and uh, and so on. So um, it's it's been tough, you know. And there's a lot of the folks that have been living over there. They they went over there to retire and or they're up in their age. There there aren't a lot of children. I think there are only three to five kids in the school. 
So it's it's a very older community, and it's getting tougher to maintain this lifestyle of you know cutting your wood, uh, boating for groceries, and uh, you know and dealing with the elements of that uh, that great river. You mentioned some of the uh, pressing matters facing Happy Valley Goose Bay earlier, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is the Liberal MHA for Lake Melville District, Perry Trimper. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. We're speaking with the MHA for Lake Melville District, a new Liberal member, renewed <laughs> Liberal member, Perry Trimper. And uh, Perry, as you mentioned earlier, Happy Valley Goose Bay, of course, facing some pretty pressing social matters, not the least of which is uh, homelessness and affordable housing. Uh, I know some action has been announced over the last year or so, but winter is coming. What needs to be done? Is it enough? Well, there are short and long-term um, activities happening. And first of all, there's, so there's two groups. There's a group called the Action Team, and this is comprising primarily uh, professionals in uh, social development uh, and counseling, uh, addictions, and representatives of all the Indigenous groups. I have also been invited to sit on that uh, on that uh, that table. And they're looking at longer-term solutions. Uh, we have uh, several dozens of people who are really having a difficult time with addictions. It, it goes back. It's, each one has a complicated story. And uh, addressing that is going to take time. Uh, the, uh, the the action team is looking at what we refer to as a purpose-built facility. So we've been we've been looking and 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 uh, had uh, good uh, good discussions and tours of, for example, the gathering place and the Center for Hope in St. John's, and looking at some of the strategies and how they might apply to Happy Valley Goose Bay. So uh, there's that effort going on uh, in the longer term. I feel that that in combination with some of the um, uh, the country uh, counseling that's gone on in the past where we can actually get people into the country and, and, and find that healing uh, benefits of being in, in you know in the in a wilderness setting that uh, how, how beneficial that can be so I feel that will will get us there in the long term but in the meantime we have many people who are living dangerously uh, we have issues in the community uh, so it's there's also one of safety for everyone involved, and, and uh, the premier and cabinet uh, created a uh, what's called an acute response team in early June, and this for me was a was a was a key step in in realizing that I could get back together with with the liberals and work closely with them was how they responded to form this, and then and since the level of attention. We, we, we don't have a wonderful solutions that we can apply right now, but I can tell you the resources of the province are involved, and we are looking seriously at, at what can be done. And these are, these range. Uh, there's, a, there's a long checklist of different items, and uh, we are moving forward on them. But they have to be done, of course, in concert with and out of complete respect for everybody involved. Um, so uh, big efforts. Uh, and in terms of uh, preparing for the winter, uh, I did speak with the minister, uh, Minister Abbott, recently on 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 the plans that he is preparing. Uh, you know, and and they will, and the province will continue to support people who find themselves, uh, you know, exposed to the elements this winter. We we we've had, unfortunately, we've had fatalities, people exposed to the elements, and we we want to and need to ensure that that doesn't happen again. 
Well, I, emergency shelters come immediately to mind, but what needs to be done in terms of the actual infrastructure? What needs to be built? How much capacity is needed? Yeah, we, we're working on a plan, um, uh, and a consulting firm has been engaged, and they're working with the action team. Uh, this is all these specialists that are around the table uh, to look exactly how large it needs to be, the number of rooms, the number of types of rooms. Um, how different partner organizations, how they can interact with uh, with the clients that are in this in this facility, where it's going to be located, uh, how it will operate, and so on. Um, also, of course, working on the funding, and I uh, I believe that we'll be able to in the in the coming weeks perhaps uh, be able to speak more to that. It's going to be most important, I think, for the folks in Lake Melville who are listening to these to these uh, this uh, conversation right now. Uh, to have an opportunity to to see these details and understand um, what some of the plans are, and we we need their input and we need their support. So I'm looking forward to what I'm referring to as a, as an information session, uh, where uh, key organizations can can come to the community and explain how they uh, they see resolving this. And conversations are important, aren't they? Because I mean, you have uh, you have the people who are the most vulnerable, who are most at risk, and you have uh, residents of the community who are feeling very helpless uh, about trying to address these matters. So you've got these two sides, and and everybody sort of has to come together, don't they? Actually, I'm I'm, not, I'm going to avoid using the word sides because I, I feel everybody who needs to be at the table is at the table. Um, you know, and that's leadership from all levels of government, municipal, provincial, federal, uh, as well as all the indigenous leadership is there. And everyone is, is there. None of us have a, a particularly uh, short-term, brilliant uh, uh, solution that we can apply here, but we are working well together. And, uh, and, and that, I can feel that progress. Uh, so that's been a couple of months. Unfortunately, we're still struggling inside Happy Valley Goose Bay and, 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 uh, and supporting people on the streets. There's still, I don't know, two to three dozen people that are, that are living very much at risk, and uh, there's great concern for, for what's happening. So uh, we, we continue to collaborate and work. So it's not like some, uh, you know, some decision or a list of actions are being imposed on anyone. We are developing them together. Uh, the big economic, I guess, engine uh, that was uh, Five Wing Goose Bay and Happy Valley Goose Bay. Uh, uh, what, what about the future there? The federal defense minister, of course, was down a short while ago, announced funding to help modernize the base. Um, what's going to happen there? Well, you and I started speaking, I think it was 19 years ago, uh, when we had formed the Goose Bay Citizens Coalition, which was to find a, a viable future for the base. And I've, I've been involved ever since. And I'm pleased to say that yeah, Minister Anand was recently at Five Wing and indicated that it is one of four locations that is now to receive, because of its geography, its location, its history, its workforce, um, a substantial investment. And uh, it's, we're talking into the billions of dollars in terms of how uh, Goose Bay, along with its three counterpart locations across across Canada, can form a strategic uh, contribution to NORAD and to NATO in the defense of uh, North America. You know, the events of uh, the escalation of what's happened in Ukraine has uh, woken us all up uh, to the reality that, uh, you know, some some uh, governments and, and some democracies are just not what they, what they espouse, and, and we're dealing with some very difficult situations. So Goose Bay's uh, been able to step up in the past, and uh, our calling is now. 
And uh, there is an interesting level of excitement. Uh, this was also, I indicated yesterday, the premier, I had gone to him with some of these matters, and I even spoke in the legislature at length one day in a speech where I identified all the MHAs who have military locations in throughout the province to appreciate and realize the contribution they make to our economy and how we can collectively lobby as a province uh, to be there uh, on the national and international stage to support this needed response. So um, in terms of what the infrastructure looks like, I'm not sure right now, Linda, because we're into a new iteration of technology. Uh, we obviously will be a uh, sort of an early warning system detecting, uh, you know, threats that could come across our uh, the North Pole. Um, uh, you know, Russia right now, of course, and unfortunately, is is um, is is where the threat is uh, identified, and, and we need to look north. And, and Goose Bay is going to be ideally uh, situated to respond. So we'll we'll see as more details roll out. But uh, there has been quite a buzz in Goose Bay, and the recent visit of the minister confirms that. Will uh, could this mean? I mean, we we get a good sense of uh, Five Wings' uh, strategic uh, importance here, and you know its heyday arguably was during the Cold War when that was a threat. Uh, uh, now we're in the, to this new uh, reality. Um, any idea, you know, whether or not Goose Bay will see some of its former glory come back, so to speak? Well, you know, we've been playing a very strategic role, uh, frankly, ever since, uh, starting in the 80s with different air forces training there and and so on. And while they've pulled out in terms of their permanent uh, status, as I'm talking to you today, the German the German uh, forces are training at Five Wing Goose Bay. Uh, we, we continue to see uh, activities from a variety of our allies um, on the training uh, on the training locations that we have. Uh, we have uh, facilities that are developed to deal with some of the new threats of counterterrorism, uh, other esp- uh, surveillance uh, type uh, uh, responses, and so on. A lot of things that I, I frankly don't understand, but I see the I see the folks that are here. I see the meals that need to be cooked, uh, the, the the beds that need to be prepared, and the and the workforce at Five Wing that needs to. Uh, that is there to support all this activity. So uh, I'm seeing nothing but growth. It's been a uh, we the current wing commander and his predecessors have been very positive, working very closely with the community. Uh, we're in a very good place with the base, and I, I think that Goose Bay and other locations in the province will see the benefit of this. The premier, by the way, has been instrumental in raising this with the prime minister and uh, the German Air Force, for example, is also. I'll use the phrase uh, kicking the tires at returning. And uh, the Premier has been instrumental in in contacting those officials as well in Germany and telling them that uh, uh, what are our our assets and our interest in what we can do to support them. Well, you mentioned the uh, the um, uh, war in Ukraine and uh, Russia's role there, of course. Uh, I want to speak to you a little bit more more about that when we come back after the break, because you have some interesting insights on that. Uh, when we come back right after this, our guest today on On Target is the MHA for Lake Melville District, Perry Trimper. We'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. 
guest today is the Liberal MHA for Lake Melville District, Perry Trimper. And uh, Perry, you were speaking about the uh, strategic importance of Five Wing Goose Bay. And of course, uh, nowadays, uh, more important than ever, you've spent time in Ukraine, Russia, that general area, that border area, I understand. Well, what are you hearing from people in the area now about how the, uh, the Russian war in Ukraine is being viewed? Yeah, from uh, 1990 to 2004, Linda, I was uh, working there primarily as an environmental consultant. I started on my own interest and, and so on. That a lot of different projects and opportunities, but I was very proud of that uh, of that experience, and it's it's guided me uh, forward. The um, in terms of all the relationships I've had, um, most of it has been cut off. Uh, we were speaking when the, the war escalated in February, on February 24th. Uh, we were chatting back and forth via Facebook primarily, and um, I've not heard from them. And I, I don't have as many connections in Ukraine. I, I was there twice uh, working, uh, but uh, most of my contacts were in Russia. We had offices in Moscow and in the, the northern Komi Republic that we worked on for years. Uh, but I've lost touch with them, and the, the conversations uh, as for the first month or so were very carefully worded. And um, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm not getting a good sense of how they're feeling. Uh, you see all these um, demonstrations at the beginning of the conflict when it was really starting to escalate in late February, and the thousands and tens of thousands of people who very bravely uh, took to the streets to tell Mr. Putin he was uh, he was not being uh, he was not in the they were not supporting him at all. Uh, I shudder to think what's happened to them and many of them and their families are taking that very defiant stand. Uh, we, we, you know, I think the West has really lost contact with uh, with Russia after so many years of uh, of opportunity and promise. And I, with Mr. Gorbachev's recent passing, I've been thinking about you know those exci- exciting times. I was there in 1990 and through 91 and 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 onward, and and watched this massive superpower uh, collapse and crumble. Uh, at the time, it was believed to to the benefit of, of everyone in, in the ideas of glasnost, the openness, and perestroika of restructuring, uh, and that rapid, very rapid transition that Mr. Gorbachev oversaw. Unfortunately, at that time, the the West was not able to to respond as quickly as Russia needed, and uh, people like uh, Gorbachev uh, were just pushed to the side as others uh, and extreme views, either further on the uh, liberalization side, but also uh, on the hawks and and the people like Mr. Putin, who started showing up. I was first on my radar in 1999, who was pushing for a return to a strong centralist government. That's what we're feeling now, is I think the failure of the West to respond, to really bring in these democratic reforms, to move women into power, uh, into positions of power, to think about sustainable development. These are all key themes that I worked on years ago. And as the West provided technical assistance, frankly, what the Russians really needed, in addition to that, was financial support. And we were slow to bring it. And the country collapsed. The standard of living collapsed. And people got disenchanted. And, uh, I was going to ask you, yeah, what kind of an economic impact did that have on, you know, the average person's life? And, and how does that uh, help to, um, you know, uh, mold their, their worldview? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I could feel some of this in our country today. You know, with, you know if leaders have to, um, have to really confront 
messages of hate. We need to really enable, uh, you know, a, a more thoughtful, uh, careful um, uh, solution to our problems and recognize that we're all in it together. Uh, but when you start screaming out uh, that this is all as a result of a single person or a, a single philosophy or policy, uh, you, you, you can feed the masses to the point that they will start to go in a different direction in terms of their voting procedures. And unfortunately, that's what happened. Putin has seized power and he's got such a grip on it now. It's very difficult for dissenting views to speak out. As we've seen, because some of those dissenting views have been quite effectively silenced. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very sad. We we just we were not able to move as quickly as Russia needed us. And uh, I left in 2004, working with a consulting company, and, and we were essentially pushed out. We just found it too unstable to work there, as the rules kept changing, as uh, as Putin, and perhaps at the time, maybe rightly so, and and the West thought that he was going to uh, bring some order and chaos, because under Yeltsin and uh, it's you know 89 oligarchs and governors just went in separate directions. Putin brought it back, but uh, it, that uh, the centralist government pressures continued well beyond one of uh, organization that's really turned into a dictatorship, unfortunately. Now, we only have a few minutes left, and I know that you and I could talk about climate change and the carbon taxes and all of those things for a full hour. Um, but I wanted to go back to your district, if you don't mind, for the last few minutes of the show. And I know you wanted to talk about Route 520, the road to Northwest River. You know, we yeah, thank you, Linda. We have some 10,000 kilometers of highway in our province, and uh, I, I see roads everywhere. I'm here on the northern peninsula side of the road, very limited cell service. You know, it's a struggle uh, throughout our province to maintain uh, the situation where our demographics are so that we're concentrated in some areas and we have these long connections that uh, keep our communities together. They're very important. We have a highway that uh, Northwest River and Shashit need to access each day to for the services in Happy Valley Goose Bay. It has deteriorated uh, to a level now that it really needed, uh, sorely needed attention. I think the last time that it had uh, worked on it in a serious way was when the Queen visited in 1997. So long past due, and it's been one of the items I've been speaking to, and I'm and, and very pleased to see government move this year. It was another example of, of some of the overtures and, and some of the progress that we were making uh, as we started collaborating more and more uh, through the 2022 so, yeah, we, the paving is happening now as I speak, and uh, more repairs to come in the coming years. It's, it's going to take a while. It's uh, it, it's an old road. It was designed in an old way, and it, it needs to be rebuilt in many locations, but we're getting there. Perry Trimper, I appreciate your time. Um, safe travels. I know you're still up on the northern peninsula heading back this way. Uh, so uh, all the best to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Linda. Take care. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Um, thanks for listening, everyone.